Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So it's been a tough week uh, for our nation, I'm sure you'll agree, that this has been a difficult week, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Some of you have never thought about immigrating, and all of a sudden you're like checking tickets online, like how much does it cost to fly to Australia? And then you're like, oh no, it's way too much to get to Australia. And, um, and we've had a tough week with, with violence and with crime and with rioting and xenophobia, kidnappings, protests nationwide. You would be forgiven for feeling a little bit anxious about the future of our nation and the future of your family. And, um, and, 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 you know, oftentimes when these kinds of things arise, there's all these messages. People have philosophies on how to fix the nation and how to fix the, the country. And it's, you know, the government must be better and the leaders need to be better and the people need to be better. And oftentimes the message is just be better. Just be better. I don't know if you've heard that message this week specifically aimed at men in our society to say, men, just be better. I saw one post that said, men, shut up and be better. But how many of you know that if we could just be better, we would have no problems, right? If, if it was that easy for us to overcome the things we struggle with and the imperfections we face, then it would be very simple for us to just be better. And unfortunately, these philosophies that arise in our world, they never fix the problem. They don't have the power to fix the problem. There's philosophies that come up politically that have been proven in history to not work, to destroy a nation, to destroy people, to destroy the economy. And we've seen these things, and even now, even though people know that they shouldn't do it, we see these philosophies arise and these political waves arise, and it's sometimes like telling a child not to stick their finger in a plug, and they say, I don't care, I'm going to test this anyway. I want to see, maybe it'll be different, maybe this time the result will be different, and it can be so frustrating because sometimes it feels like our world is Animal Farm by George Orwell on repeat right? That it's just the same thing, the same cycle, the same issues that happens in every single country. And I thought I would take a moment to say this because I believe it passionately that we never uplift one section of society by oppressing another. That never works. For example, poor people do not become rich by making rich people poor. It doesn't work that way. Women do not get uplifted by trashing men. That's unbiblical, it's untrue, and it's proven to be incorrect. Rather, what we need is that we, we need a different kind of approach, something different to reactionary kind of thinking that says, oh, when this is off balance, let's overcompensate in the opposite direction in order to try and create balance. That's not what Jesus teaches us. Jesus constantly says, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be the leader of all, be the least of all. He constantly says things like make room for one another and forgive each other and consider every other person as more important than yourself. And this is actually the biblical way to approach these things. We know that our country has problems and issues and, and humanity has issues, but, but it's not reactionary things that, that cause um, equilibrium in our nation. It's love. Love is the revolution to end all revolutions because it recreates the effect in the one that's being loved. And it's only through that message of hope that we get in the gospel, that message of love and truth, that people are able to move forward and that we will see something better. 
as history repeats itself again and again and again with these cycles. And this is relevant to the message I want to share with you today um, from, from Revelation 12, which I'll get into in a moment. But, but as history repeats itself, the question is, where does it all end up? What is going to be the end result of our world? Are we going to be able to restrain evil for long enough? Are we going to be able to curb the, the passions and the selfish intentions of our society and of our world? Is it going to end up in all-out nuclear war and economic decimation of, the, of, of multiple nations, in, in, in oppression and in genocide and in all these things? That's the, these are the thoughts that come to us when we face moments like the week we've just had. The question arises, how will we ever overcome evil? How will we ever overcome evil in this world? How will we ever get people to stop murdering and stop being selfish and stop stealing and stop oppressing others for selfish gain? How will we ever get to a place where we truly can be better? And if there is a God and if he is good, then when is he going to step in? When is he going to begin to act on the injustice in this world? When will he intervene and put an end to the evil? People often say when we have weeks like these, I saw people saying, well, where's the church now? Why is the church being silent on the issues that we, our nation is facing? But for so long, our society has told the church that they are to be silent, that they are to be quiet. We're not allowed to say that this is what marriage should look like. We're not allowed to say that this is the role that God has given a man and this is the role that God has given a woman. And then when the men no longer act like God has called them to act by protecting women, then, the, then society cries out, men, be better. Protect us women. But five minutes ago, we weren't even allowed to call you a woman because that was offensive. We weren't even allowed to assign a gender to you, according to, your, uh, to our society, but now we're supposed to protect a gender we weren't allowed to define. In some countries, they're making it illegal to call somebody a she or a he. It has to be a they. So we're saying we don't want the church's input on gender, but then we want men to protect women. Our society has lost its mind. The further it moves away from the truth of God, the further it moves away from, from what the Bible declares and how God has created us, the creator of all things, the more we see all hell breaking loose in our, in our society. And as our, our world moves further and further away, the more evil runs rampant. We saw last week in, in our study of Revelation 9 and 10 and, and 11, when, when, when God removes his restraint on evil, what happens? What a world looks like when God says, okay, world, you want freedom from me. You don't understand the restraint I have placed on evil in this world. Even though we face so much of it, it is restrained in a great way. But when God begins to step back like he does in Revelation, giving people over to the freedom from God that they always wanted, evil runs rampant. And from what we could see in those chapters, it's not a whole lot of fun. It doesn't work out great for the people of this world. And, and this is one of the reasons why a study in Revelation is so powerful and gives us so much hope, because we can see evil for what it is, and we can also see and know that in the time to come, God will defeat all evil. That is a hopeful message. That's a message our nation needs. That's something that we need to know, that He will defeat all evil, and we see here today in Revelation 12, a message I'd like to share with you, the defeat 
of evil. If you're taking notes, you can write this title down, and we're going to be in, in the end of Revelation 11, where we ended last week, and Revelation 12 today, the defeat of evil. This is a beautiful chapter of Scripture that is often difficult to, to explain or to understand if you're reading it without the context, but we're going to help you to see the beauty of it today. And so you can turn with me to Revelation 11, verse 15. If you have your Bibles, we encourage you to bring your Bibles to Anchor Church. Um, you may have a Bible app on your phone. That's fine if you want to use your Bible apps or your, or your iPad or whatever, but, but we still love pages. We still love something that you can actually flick through and, and mark in and write down on. So, uh, so if you have your Bibles, take them out. Revelation 11 and verse 15 and we've seen all the trumpets, six trumpets have blown. The last two trumpets released two woes on the earth as, as God was still allowing people to repent, although the majority harden their hearts and begin to worship demons and to begin to worship evil like our world is so prone to do. And now we are awaiting the seventh trumpet, the third woe, this incredible moment of judgment that is arriving in our world as God sets out to serve notice on evil. And Revelation eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. This is where God steps in and says, Enough is enough of the evil in this world. Now his kingdom has begun to reign on this earth. You have begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for the destroying, the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of night, lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is a moment that God says, enough is enough. I'm stepping into history now, and this is at a future date, and I will put an end to evil in a final and ultimate sense. And we look forward to that day as we await God's justice on the earth. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning and just ask God to reveal himself to us. Father, we thank you that as we look at your word, as we read the book of Revelation, your word says, blessed is anyone who reads and hears the words of this book and of this prophecy. We thank you, God, for how it speaks to us. We pray, God, that this morning every heart will be touched by your Holy Spirit, that your word will be carried forward, and that it will produce a harvest in every heart, Lord. We thank you that it doesn't return to you void, but it hastens to accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish. We thank you, Father God, that this morning we can be inspired as a community to resist evil in our nation, to stand for truth, to declare your word, and to endure through whatever hardships may come as we speak your word, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are setting all things right in our own lives, individually, Lord God, um, as a community, as a nation, Lord. We thank you in the ultimate sense that you will defeat every bit of evil uh, in this world, and we give you all the glory as the one who is and who was and who is to come, and we just glorify your name, and we give you all the honor and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen, amen. So we finally arrive here at the seventh trumpet, 
And as the angel blows the seventh trumpet, before there is a cataclysm, this is the third woe, we know that there is a shaking, we know that God is gonna act in a powerful way now, but before any of that happens, there's worship again. Worship emanates from heaven, a declaration that God is victorious. And I don't know if you noticed it there, but in the past that we, we saw how they worshiped and said, we worship the one who is and who was and who is to come. But did you notice that in this worship, they worship the Lord God Almighty who is and who was. The future tense is taken away because the future of the world as we know it is going to change. This is the declaration that God is victorious and we see a celebration, although it was a woe that was declared. And so the question is, is it a celebration, this judgment, or is it woe? Is it hardship? Is it, is it struggle? And the answer to that is, is it depends on whether or not you have decided to align yourself with evil in this world and with the enemy of God, or whether you have chosen to surrender your life to the creator of heaven and earth. For those that are the servants of God, that have worshiped him, that have given their lives to Jesus, we see that this is the end now of striving, the end of pain, the end of persecution, the end of struggle, the end of putting up with injustice in this world. But for those that wish to usurp God's throne and not honor him as the king and the creator, who have a desire to crush the church and eradicate the church from the face of the earth, this is a time of great woe. What I love about the way that it describes God's action in this time is that he is not here to destroy the world. He is not here to destroy the earth. We know God's heart in 2 Peter, it tells us God doesn't desire for anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. God is not here to destroy the world, but as it tells us there in Revelation 11, to destroy the destroyers of the earth. Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy and it's to destroy communities, it's to destroy lives, it's to destroy nations, it's to destroy people. That is who he's been from the beginning. And now God says, this has gone on long enough and I will destroy those that destroy the earth. Satan and, and all his cohorts. And we see this now being revealed in these subsequent chapters as God begins to act. And it made me think of a quote uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien he says, Gandalf, and this is from, obviously, the, the Lord of the Rings. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed, and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. The best is yet to come. And God has already started to do that in your life as he works all things together for good. He's already begin, begun to take all the sad things that you've faced and to begin to miraculously by his grace turn them around for your benefit but God will also do this in the ultimate sense when he puts all things right and everything sad will come untrue. He's going to deal with the destroyer. What we understand is that victory for the church, victory for God, does not mean the whole church just being removed from the world. It doesn't mean that God just plucks us out of this world to the safety of heaven. 
but the liberation of the world itself from those who hold it captive. You see, the inhabitants of this world don't always realize that we are held captive, we are held hostage to the brokenness of sin and the influence of evil. And so our world is constantly trying to fix itself, constantly trying to correct itself. But every Christless philosophy, self-help program, and wave of culture that has declared this has ultimately failed again and again and again. That's why our world is on repeat. Humanism never works. Humanism never works because it's driven by the very system that is itself broken. My friend Mark Crossman always says this, says the problem with self-help is that you're always being helped by somebody who needs help. You're always being helped by somebody who needs help. Have you tried to fix yourself? How's that going? No, we need a savior. We need the grace of God. We need supernatural intervention. Billy Bob Thornton, great theologian, once said this. I'm just kidding. He's not a theologian, but in the movie, A School for Scoundrels, it's one of my favorite gospel quotes. He says, you can't help yourself because yourself sucks, all right? That's the problem that we have here in society. We don't have what it takes to be better. We cannot save ourselves or pry ourselves free from the grip of the evil one. We need a savior. And God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, is that savior. This picture that is being unraveled here in Revelation 12 is creator versus destroyer. The creator of heaven and earth versus the one who seeks to destroy it. And the destroyer knows that he doesn't have a chance. So all he can do is take as many with him as he can on the way down. And to that, as the church, we say no. We will fight for every soul, of every family, of every father and mother and child in this nation and in every nation, because God loves people. God loves people. And so there is a battle, church, that we are engaged in. If you have a kingdom vision, we labor for every salvation and we continue to fight. We see the Ark of the Covenant now in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant hasn't been seen since it was lost in battle in the Old Testament times, but here it is. What was on earth was a copy of what is in heaven, and it represents God's presence and covenant with His people. And now God is going to act on His covenant. It's interesting to know that in the time of Israel, when they walked into battle, God gave them the instruction to carry the Ark into battle ahead of them. And now God is going to go to battle with the forces of evil. Act one is complete. Act two is about to begin. And as it does, lightning and thunder and an earthquake and hail speaks of disaster for God's adversaries. In the second act, which spans the next few chapters, we see the ultimate end of evil and of Satan and his attempts to work through agents like the Antichrist and the false prophet, which we'll talk about in, in the weeks coming up, but to continually deceive the world. And God dispatches of them each systematically. This is a battle that plays out beyond the limitations of space and time. It rages from the highest points of the heavens down to the abyss under the earth. In every generation and every nation and every time, this is a battle that has raged. And now we see like an action movie, short cycle visions that John has where he is watching it unfold. And what it says to us that live between the time of Jesus' incarnation and the second coming is endure, remain faithful, 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up. The battle is not yet over. Though it rages on this earth, it's not yet done. And so it plays out like an action movie. And we're going to read this together and just look at it right now this morning. Revelation 12 verse 1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven. So all of a sudden, John looks up, he looks at the stars, and it's like the stars begin to form these images. He's watching this movie of how God will defeat evil. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished 1,260 days, which we looked at last week is the same as 42 months, which is also the same as a time, times, and half a time, which essentially just means a period of time that the devil, there's a limited period of time that, that evil is allowed to reign before God puts a restoration to all things. So the movie opens up. This action movie opens up. And all of a sudden, John is looking at the stars and these signs begin to play out in front of him in the night sky. And first he sees a woman clothed with the brilliance of the sun, with the moon at her feet, and a crown of 12 stars. 12 is always the number of divine government. The full number like the 12 disciples or the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this represents the church. It represents Israel and it represents the church. It represents the people of God clothed in the sun and with the moon at her feet because it's divine. The church isn't just an organization. The church isn't just a social club. It isn't just a place that we come to on a Sunday morning in order to be involved in some charity work or some good deeds. The church is the people of God, the bride of Christ, and it's adorned with divinity. We are a divine community. We are God's special possession, a royal priesthood, not just a few people sitting in a room. And so the first thing that we see, the people of God, and she's pregnant because she is through the people of God, through the nations of God and the faithful people that God chose, he brought the Messiah into the world. And so she is pregnant with the Messiah that is about to be born. And so this is an image of that time. And the enemy is standing there ready to devour it. How many of you know that whenever God wants to do something in your life, the enemy is standing close by to try and corrupt it and end it and discourage it? And this is what we see here. This woman is pregnant with the Messiah. And he is the one who is to lead the world, who is to reign with the rod of iron. And in Psalm 2, it tells us about this Messiah to be born. It says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the victory Jesus will have over evil. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and, with re and rejoice with trembling. Be glad that he is coming to put all things right. Jesus 
has got the task of destroying the destroyer, of putting an end to those that destroy the earth. The most foolish thing that we can do is align ourselves with the destroyer to share in his fate. It's a great red dragon symbolizing his murderous nature with seven heads that symbolize his his authority on the earth and the 10 horns being a throwback to Daniel 7, each horn representing political power. In Daniel 6 and 7, the horns that grew up represented nations and empires that would rise up. And so this could very well refer to, to 10 empires that would, that would align themselves with the forces of evil. The crowns that are on his heads are presumptuous. We see the battle is set here. The Messiah who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And on the other side, where you have the red dragon who says, I want the power. I want the people. I want to destroy the earth. The battle here is set, and it has raged in every nation and every community and every heart. It's the ultimate battle between good and evil. And it reveals his fight against the church and against God's people, the violent antagonism that we have faced in doing what God has called us to do. As the woman gives birth to the baby, His intent is to destroy the Messiah, but instead we see that the baby is caught up to heaven. Now what this presupposes in this little gap from birth to being raised into heaven is the fact that Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected, that the devil could not defeat him, and instead he, having finished the work, ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. So Satan wanted to destroy the Messiah, But Jesus has victory over the demonic forces of evil in dying and being raised from the dead. And now he's in heaven again. And we go back to Revelation 5 where where the angel stands with a scroll that says, who will redeem this earth? Who is worthy to overthrow evil in this world? And there is no one found. And then John is told, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed on the cross. And he is worthy to break the seals and now redeem all things. And John turns around and he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Jesus, in dying on the cross, served notice to the evil of this world. He is now worthy to overcome all this evil. And he sits down on the throne. That is a sign that that the work has been complete. This is why the prophecy, even from the psalm, said, Well done, my son. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's now gonna overcome all evil. Christ has defeated evil. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, we had all aligned ourselves with the enemy. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. So evil is overcome in our own lives, how? Through grace through the forgiveness of God, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, he disarmed. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross for you? He disarmed all the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. This gives us new perspective on evil in our world. Evil is only able to function for a limited time. Satan is like a trapped animal facing its impending end. In other words, evil rages in our world not because it is so powerful, 
but because it is so vulnerable. Notice has been served on evil. Those who think that Satan rages because he's invincible will give up in despair. But those that recognize that Satan rages on earth because he has already lost and is now desperate have reason to resist him, confident that God will prevail. As the church, we're engaged in the resistance to evil. We're not caught up in heaven yet. We are the woman that is taken and God there provides for her and protects her and nourishes her. We are seated with him. God has done a great work. In Revelation 12, I'm going to end on this, Revelation 12, 7, it says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Jesus has been resurrected, and now there is a battle that happens in heaven. And listen to this. But when he was defeated, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is, the, is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they conquer him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives unto death, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. People think that this moment when there's a raging battle in heaven, where Michael and his angels fight against Satan and cast him down to the earth, they think that this is what happened at the first rebellion, when Satan was still Lucifer, was still an angel of God's court that was cast down to heaven, but that's not what's happened here. This is actually saying that this one who was thrown out of heaven was the one who was accusing God's people. You see, before the death of Jesus, as people committed sins, Satan was still permitted, like in the book of Job, an audience with God to say, look at this one, he has sinned. Look at this person, they have, they have done false things, they have given false testimony, they have lied, they have murdered. He had a legal right to stand before God and accuse because the people were guilty. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of our sins, for all of our shame, for every trespass. And now the accuser of the brethren, the one that stood in heaven calling out your sins, he no longer has a legal right. You know why? Every single one of those sins was paid for. It was paid for. And so he is taken and he is thrown down, thrown down to earth. He is no longer permitted to accuse you before heaven. No longer permitted to bring a charge against you. He has no legal right to stand before the throne. Because salvation, the salvation, that's why it says now, the salvation of God has come. The accuser has nothing more to accuse you of. All he can do now as a defeated enemy is rage on the earth for as long as he possibly can. And that's where the battle is for us as the church. But Jesus, when he commissioned Peter, said, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. So we understand that, yes, there's evil in this world. We understand that, yes, things go wrong. We understand, yes, our society is broken. We understand, yes, our community faces challenges. Sin has the effect of destroying lives. But we also understand that God has defeated sin. Jesus was raised from the dead and evil will ultimately be defeated. This is cause for great celebration. Great celebration in your life. What hardships have you faced or are you facing right now? Trust God to overturn those things. Amen? Amen. Just while you're seated this morning, let's just pray together.